Now, I know I've been through it in Bible studies and the like, and, and it, the reason it was on my mind was it had, it, I had brought up this text with somebody in a conversation. So that's what sort of prompted it. Plus, I'd had a, a suggestion from the congregants, and believe me, you can feel free to share with me what you think is absolutely wrong with what I do. I will never speak to you again or invite you to any of the cool, you know, situations, but it's probably beneficial for my soul. And somebody was, was suggesting to me that perhaps I had uh, gone in for the, you know, Christian Smarty Pants Awards, you know, where you're always talking about the philosophy of the believers, how they think about things, etc. Well, I really believe that's what you should be about. I think you should be structuring your mind to be like the mind of God. Um, but I, one of the things that, as we discussed it, it was very nicely shared with me. I said, you know, I, it's probably beneficial to speak out of narrative sometimes because people, one, they enjoy it a bit more and the points are a little bit more direct and a little less, you know, subtle or nuanced. So that's why we're in 2 Kings 1. Now, on the left-hand side, there's a top verse of 1 Corinthians 10. Now, these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. He had just mentioned a group of events that had happened in the Old Testament, warning that a lot of people died of plague and various other stuff, you know, Old Testament-y stuff. But it says they're written down for your instruction. Warnings to them, but written down for our instruction. So that when we look at it, I, one of the things as I looked at this passage, I went, you know, it's probably not teaching what I'm going to say. He said, that's a bad admission, Evan. Well, in other words, I don't think whoever the scribe was that was popping down 2 Kings 1 was going, boy, I hope he gets it out of this. Whatever the guy who's going to preach on this, I hope he gets this point. The question is, does that point occur on the pages? You're going to be asked to look at it and say, yeah, I think this is a problem. This is something we should, in ministering to others, watching ourselves, ministering to others, caring about what we do as Christians. And it's got Beelzebub in it. So there's always that. Plus, after the death of Ahab, verse 1 of chapter 1 of 2 Kings, after the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah, that's Ahab's son. Ahab, if, you've, if you're not keeping up on your Old Testamenty uh, gossip, Ahab was... A wobbly king, we'll just say, married to a bad woman. Mad and bad, and she was mostly bad. Jezebel. They ended up getting killed. And their son Ahaziah becomes king. He only lasts about two years. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, 
Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Now, hidden between those pieces of information is that the upper chamber and the lattice was probably the bathroom, and he probably is like an outhouse, and he probably had fallen into the pit, which is not sanitary. And when it's 850 BC, you're probably gonna get sick. He got sick, and then he had to realize what, he had fallen through the lattice, and it's not that, oh my gosh, I sprained my ankle. No, he probably germ theory is working pretty strong here. But he sends his servants, to inquire of Beelzebub. Now, at the other end of history, we say the word Beelzebub, and, and we think of Charlie Daniels and the devil went down to Georgia. We're, we're, we're sort of got Beelzebub tidied up as Satan or the devil, which he probably is. But Beelzebub is just another one of the Baals, Baal, Lord of the Flies, or Lord of the Swarming. When Christ mentions his name, we cover this passage at the end here out of Matthew, and they use the New testament phrasing Beelzebul for Beelzebub. Uh, it's the same idea, the prince of demons, the lord of the flies. And you begin to say, hold it, wasn't there a book? Yes, it comes from this name, the lord of the flies. Go inquire of Beelzebub. Now, for Ahaziah, he's not going, you know, I think I'm just going to be a Satanist from here on out. Satan is not a big figure in the Old Testament. And he's looking at the God of Ekron as um, a powerful deity that he's going to petition as to what's going to happen to me. It's, it's omen giving or, it's, or prophecy giving. Ekron is one of the, what's considered one of the five cities or the five lords of the Philistines. There's Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gaza, Gath, Ekron. And those five cities, which are still, you know, Palestinian territory, Philistine territory, um, were from this early date um, a problem, but they had a strong religious effect on the religious misbehavior of, of, uh, of the Jews. So one of these cities, Ekron, has a god named Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. And he wants to go ask him. But the angel of the Lord, so this is what Ahaziah is doing. Ahaziah is sending a messenger out. Meanwhile, God's listening to this piece of information going, ah, not a, this, is not, this is not good. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, you remember Elijah. Elijah's been a big problem for this family all the way through the end of 1 Kings. And Elijah is what you want your young sons to grow up to be. He's just that powerful, serious, no-holds-barred type of pursuit of God and service to God. And the angel says to him, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron? 
another piece of fact, you say, I, I like the facts. I like what's going on. This is, again, 800s BC. Uh, it's happening in Israel, not in Judah. That's why it says Samaria and not Jerusalem. So these are the kings of Israel. The, the kingdoms of, of the Jews have separated. After Solomon, the northern kingdom, Elijah has his ministry to them. Ahab and Ahaziah are kings of Israel. And um, that's why Samaria is the capital. Is it because there is no God in Israel? Now, that was the point. And talking with this gentleman who was offering me uh, helpful pointers about the ministry, uh, and I was talking to another person who, who recommended that that keeping you know keeping them from too many points showing up in the sermon. Well, this is at least one right here. Is it because there is no God in Israel? You'll notice on the page down in verse six, it also says, "Is it because there is no God in Israel?" And then it, down in verse oh, what is it, sixteen? Is it because there is no God in Israel? It seems like it's on Elijah's mind. I'm going to get this message across. It's going to be repeated three times in, oh, 18 verses. Is it because there is no God in Israel? Now, none of you, I trust, are Baal worshipers. Got it? Is that true? See any hands? Show of hands. Don't put your hand down, Kana. She chose that moment to scratch her head. No Baal worshipers. No Satan worshipers, right? We're here, Christian church. We're serving God, kind of like we were the people of Israel, the people who were tagged with the worship of Yahweh. And that's how people thought of them, as they were the worshipers of Yahweh. And so when Ahaziah sends the messengers to Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, Elijah's concern and the angel's concern is, hold it, isn't there a god in your country? Isn't? Isn't there someone you could inquire of? Not Beelzebub? So, practical lesson. How much of your life do you ask of God, wanting him to arrange, him to declare to you what you ought to be doing? A lot of us are pretty confident that we got it figured. We, we know how to run our own lives. We're adults. We know how to do stuff. And so we don't really check in either with the scriptures or with other fellow believers or whatever it is that's going to help you find an answer to your circumstance. Who do we desire to arrange our lives and why do we desire that they arrange our lives? Because when we go to outside sources, that's what we're looking at. We realized I've got my limits. I've got to ask a doctor. Jim had to say earlier this week, Doc, can you put this back on? And he said, no. Do I expose my children to the pox? Yes, says the doctor. They have white coats. We trust them. They went to med school. What It means something when we seek an answer who we ask. Because we're asking submissively, 
for a, a person to offer an arrangement that I would not know. I'm always afraid, you know, I hurt myself, my back, my arm, something. Leslie says, you better talk to Glenda. And I say, I don't want to talk to Glenda. And she says, you better talk to Glenda. And so I go talk to Glenda. But it means that I trust Glenda. You trust the doctor. You trust the professors at the university. You trust, and the question is, do we, when we're especially run up, and this is fine when you've got a, an elbow that doesn't work, but when you're trying to work your way through what is clearly a moral, spiritual dilemma, a crisis of, of understanding and direction, is it because there is no God? What are the books on your shelves filled with? Are they directions of every other pop psychologist? Are they directions of all sorts of other ideas? Are these Beelzebub's a religion, you know? He's got a temple. Ask ourselves, who is the desire and why do we want to have Baal say something? Say, Evan, the fact that I read a book by Deepak Chopra does not mean that I've, well, close, man. He serves a different religious persuasion. Is it because there is no God in your Bible, is no God in your faith, that you would have to go ask somebody who's antagonistic to the gospel for the answer? Why do we do it? I mean, obviously you have a Bible. I, I have one, and if you don't, we'd be happy to give you one. Um, we know where it is, and we know where the gathering of these things are, but then we might be asking, inquiring in a worldly way for worldly answers. More than the question is, why do we do that? Why did we get to that point? Our self-satisfaction didn't work out. We could not come up with the answer. We declare something by who we ask. Now, We've got to be suspicious of ourselves. I was telling someone, oh, I think it was Patrick Orr, on, we were talking online and about making self-judgments. It's very hard because you're really biased in your favor. You know, I really like me. You really like you. Um, we're wondering, oh, we went to see my you know, daughter sing Neo Soul at John's Alley, uh, whatever night that was, Friday night. And uh, Graham was saying, I, I, I think, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm her brother, so I don't know how much bias is working into it, but she's really good. I wouldn't know, because I'm her dad, and I hate Neo Soul. So I told the band that. We don't know. We, we have a hard time judging ourselves, but do. We, who else is going to judge you? Who else is going to be right in amongst you, inside your mind, you have the, we were at Drones yesterday, we were talking about having an existential crisis. I was recommending it, and uh, others were not. And it was uh, the idea that you are the only person who can get close enough to you. You may be biased, but do give it a try. What are you up to? Who do you seek? How well do you know the scriptures? Because the scriptures are the, where the inquiries of God go. 
I go before the Lord. I ask him. He's got his Holy Spirit and he has got the word of God. How well, where are you far more equipped to quote Monty Python in the search of the Holy Grail than you are to quote the word of God? What are you up to? We're sort of, did you ever see the movie Raising Arizona? Okay, two heads nodded. What, what has the youth come to? If you haven't seen it, it's a Nicolas Cage film, really. Um, brilliant, brilliant film. It's a story of a criminal and his police officer wife who can't have children. And in the midst of their foment of inability to have children, they decide there is an unfinished furniture store um, magnate called, named Nathan Arizona, and he has had septuplets. And they decide, well, he doesn't need seven. Let's steal one. Good idea, right? Well, let's just say, I can imagine what goes wrong. Especially when they get into the room and they're trying to put some of the babies back into the cribs. And, and, and so they take one of the babies. Of course, Nathan Arizona is a little concerned. Now, this is where the, you say, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, this is where we get, when we start running our own lives, which I recommend you don't, because you're not bright enough. You, but you sometimes realize this. You get to the point where the karma of your decisions comes back to you, and you start to be, you know, you can hear wisdom down the street laughing at you. You begin to realize how bad it's getting. And in this movie, Nathan Arizona says, I'm not fooling around. He hires a mercenary, the mad biker of the apocalypse. That's the actual name of the character. I forget who plays him. Anybody remember who plays the mad biker of the apocalypse? Some retired football player who looks like his face got beat with a stick and long hair, awful motor. What's that? Cheetos commercial. He might have been in a Cheetos commercial. The Mad Biker of the Apocalypse. Well, all the way through the movie, as bad things keep happening to Nicolas Cage and his wife, as they try to hide the fact they stole somebody's child, they keep cutting away to the Mad Biker coming down the road, chasing after them. Now, this is what made me think of that. Verse 4, now therefore says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us, and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair cloth with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is the mad biker of the apocalypse. <laughs> oh no, it says, It is Elijah the Tishbite. But you can tell the color went out of Ahaziah's face at that moment. Do you know what his dad had dealt with? with a, uh, Elijah. So I recognize this guy. He's been around a long time. Oh my heavens, I'm in trouble. 
It's Elijah the Tishbite. Now, as we question ourselves about what we're up to, we know we'd like to have religious answers that really don't mess with you and what you're up to so much. You got stuff you're doing, right? You got things you're interested in. You got allowances you have made for your disobedient temperament and your anger and your depression and whatever it is you want to hide from the living God. And you know that Baal will give you answers without too much demanding loyalty. There'll be some more money in their temple. You might give some things. You might have to bribe the priests a little bit of Baal, but heavens to Betsy, he's not going to be a God of righteousness. You don't want a God of righteousness. You got one in Israel. The one you just ignored that was obvious to Elijah that is there no God in Israel that you could inquire of, that you had to go to Baal? We don't like that threatening sense of the mad biker of the apocalypse. The people that are taking their God seriously. See, first off, you're going you're to try to deal with this. There are people who are just a little uptight, a little bit too religious, a little too pro-Jesus, a little too whatever. You know, like they're living this seriously. They're not really carving out that niche for the rest of the mass of Christendom that wants to live nominally Christian lives, you know, raise the family and the church and, and give it a proportionate amount, love the tithe because it tells you how much, and uh, whatever else. But anybody starts to come across like the mad biker of the apocalypse, on the hunt for you, angels sent him to tell him you're going to die. And the king sent to him, this is how you deal with it, you're a king, right? You, you recognize, oh, this is my nemesis. i got to deal with this. And this is the passage that had sprung to mind in an earlier conversation this week. Then the king sent to him <coughs> captain of 50 men with his 50. And he went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, picture the top of a hill. They're not high hills. You know, they're reasonable hills. They're hills enough. And you can see this troop of 50 guys with the captain of 50. The captain goes, okay, I'll go up and talk to him. So he goes up to the top of the hill to talk to Elijah. He goes up, because he was up at the top of a hill, and said, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. That was brief. You remember Tim the Magician, right? You say, I want to be this kind of man of God. Then you could just say, I'm going to not even pray. I'm just going to say, I'm going to let the cosmos answer my question. If I am a man of God, let's see what happens. 51 dead people. They had families. This isn't right. 51 dead people. Some of you are smiling, going, I like this scene. You can see the holy man sitting on the top of a hill, looking like a holy guy. Well, hair cloth and leather girdle, not typical robes and such. 
<laughs> it gets better. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. Oh, and he went up and said to him, oh, man of God, up the top of the hill, captain of the 50 walks up the hill. This is the king's order. <laughs> Obviously, Elijah wasn't conscious that this was a demand of the king. Let me rephrase that. This is the king's order. Come down, and not just come down, come down now quickly. You better, you better listen to me. This is what happens when you start to put your trust in the arm of flesh, that we run around in our Christian lives looking for everyone, whether it's the state or whether it's the uh, any authority but God, any authority but that which you were told by Jesus Christ or his apostles what you ought to be doing. But Elijah answered him, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. I could do this again. I could be do this all day. The fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, remember the Corinthians passage. These things were written for our instruction. What am I learning? One, there is a God in your religion. Inquire of him. Two, don't try to defend your refusal to attend to the living God. Don't raise your fist against those people who are serving that message. And that's just Ahaziah. You've got a lesson being learned by uh, 102 men, right? Two captains of 50 and their 50s. You say, but isn't there another one? Well, yes, it could be 153, but let's move on. Then the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50, and the third captain of 50 went up and came, oh, it's a little different, and fell on his knees before Elijah. You can picture the first two, uniform, nice plume on their helmet, sword made of bronze, it's the time period, swaggering in front of it, sort of that rabidash sort of quality, you've read Narnia, the, the, the bolt of tash falls from above. That's the sort of impression you get. You better come down quickly. Third guy, uh, I'm on my knees and entreated him. Oh, man of God, I pray you, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Let's, let's cover the degree of submission. I'm, I'm here very, very uh, graciously. I'm here very submissively. I understand who is the power of God. Now, what we need to stop and go, what, what's my life in this? As I function, am I the lesson or am I the learner of the lesson? The 102 guys are the lesson. They're dead. They're charred. They're not going to get up and learn anything. Are you going to be the lesson? Or are you going to be someone who learns from looking at what happens to people when they give God the runaround, trying to arrange their faith to serve them and their self-satisfaction? Uh, 
the lesson didn't even have a chance. The man of God just said, if I'm a man of God, and boom, you're on fire. You don't want to be the lesson. Now you have to ask, to what degree, where do you find? You might say this whole passage is about how you treat, reverence, pursue the things of God. We've been talking about seeking God and seeking our minds, putting our minds in God, God's ways for a number of weeks now. This is a bit more vivid situation where we can walk away from what is available to you, the word of God, the fellowship of the believers, the counsel of your Christian friends, people who are you know, serving God in the church, whatever it is. Ask yourself, who has carried the word of God? Lo, fire came down from heaven, verse 14, and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. Now let my life be precious in your sight. I saw what happened, I learned. He actually renders out what happened. I saw this went down. There are all these dead guys, all this smoke. I want my life to be preserved, so I'm going to be very nice to you. Do, do you get like Ahaziah, where you sense that the biker of the apocalypse is after you from God, and you go, no, I'm not, I'm not giving in easily. How much do you have to learn? How much do you have to see? How much human history has to go by before you realize, you know, we, none of us really know what's going on here. None of us. Have you ever looked at history? I mean, I enjoy it. I, it seems to me uh, 6,000 years of absolute, you know, uh, train wreck. Some wonderful things. I think it's great inventions. But just, my goodness, every single generation just drives their marriages, their child-rearing, everything into a wall. It's like we, we don't know what we're doing. Let's keep doing it that way. Well, those are all the lessons. There are discussions in the Bible which are authoritative. You have some friends who are lessons to you. To not run your own life, but to put it below the hand of God, to say, this is, I need to know, I, I want you to have mercy on me. I know who you are. I know who the men of God are. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, I like this because it's, I don't think it was meant humorously. Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. You've just been calling fire down from heaven, killing 102 men casually. And the angel tells you, you don't be afraid of the soldier. The soldier is on his knees weeping for his life. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, this is the... The wonderful thing about the Word of God. Again, I don't think this is what the pattern is supposed to show us or was written for this purpose. But what you see is from the very beginning, the angel tells Elijah what to say. The messengers get the message. He says it. The messengers go back and say that message. And then Elijah gets to the king and he says that message. Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, 
but you will surely die. So he died. Oh, man. So he died. According to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, Jehoram, his brother, became king in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? This is one of those difficult portions of Judean and Israeli history, because Ahaziah is replaced by Jehoram in Israel, and Jehoram in Judah is replaced by Ahaziah. That was helpful. Thank you very much. That's not part of our meal. You don't have to just look it up in your free time. This God mentioned in Matthew, this God of Ekron that people would go after, becomes, you know, archdemon material for the Jews in the first century. Matthew 12, here on the left-hand side. Then a blind and dumb demoniac was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, this is the power that is, I mean, Elijah's situation. Ahaziah just doing a religious choice. I want to go consult the witch of this or the medium of that or this God here or this oracle there. Kings were doing this all the time. We know Ahaziah was a bad man. Elijah steps into it saying, no, this is, this is not what the power of God is about. We get to see some of the power of God in Elijah's ministry. And uh, that's how we're supposed to measure it. When we look at, when we look at the, uh, the end thing, the end measure, where you look for lessons, you're looking, at the, looking for the power of God. And Jesus Christ is very willing to say, yeah, call me Beelzebul, call me, say I'm doing this by Beelzebul, or I'm doing it by the Spirit of God. One thing, it's a divided kingdom of Satan, if it's Beelzebul, and the other, it's an undivided kingdom of God, if it isn't. He's willing to say, take a look at what happens. Is it going to fall? Is it going to stand? For those of you who are walking in the light, who've inquired of God and, and, and pursued the things of God in, in his word or in the fellowships that you're in, the confidence that God is building something strong in you, his kingdom is being built in you and, you, and you are continually going back to your God in Israel for that, for that help. You're representing what is the strong the stronger religion, 
you want to say, who's stronger here when Elijah does it with the priests of Baal, you know, under Ahab's rule, and call down fire from heaven, guys. See if you can do it. We want to know who's stronger. In your life, those of you who minister to others, in your life, the strength of your stand with God, how it's working out for you, how your marriages are, how your kids are, that's why they have qualifications for deacons and, and elders in the church is because righteousness is the measure. Does God in his power, has it been followed by you? Are you becoming what God wants you to become? You want to know there's a God in your country. You want to know what is the measure of the power of God and who you consult. Who do you ask? Who do you believe? There was a, at the end of 1 Kings, there's the story of Micaiah the prophet. And this is the scene where Ahab dies and he and Jehoshaphat are going to, uh, to Ramoth Gilead to fight Syria, I think. And, uh, and Jehoshaphat says, what do the prophets say? And a bunch of false prophets come in and go up and win, O king. Jehoshaphat says, because he's a Christian guy or a godly guy, says, um, you got anybody else? Yeah, there's one guy, but he never says anything nice. Well, get him. His name was Micaiah. And he comes in and says, oh, go up, you'll win. And Ahab says, don't lie to me. Well, Micaiah tells him the truth. He says, you're going to die. They go up anyway, and Ahab dies. We are measured by the power of our understanding. Our God is, who made this world. He is the one you would inquire of. His understanding of things is to be yours so that you can have the life that um, doesn't have God out, eager to take you out or send the biker of the apocalypse after you to, to straighten you out. It's a, a simple equation. We seek God because he is powerful and good. Power and goodness ought to be evident in our lives, having sought him. And he should not have turned his hand against us. Well, that's the end of the passage. I put as the memorable verse, it is Elijah the Tishbite, because that's a favorite verse of mine. It is Elijah, kind of momentous, the Tishbite. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you. You've been a blessing to us, and we'd ask that we would seek you in our lives, that we'd know who were the prophets of God, that we'd know what the strength of your, of your uh, efforts and advice are to make us righteous before you. Help us ready to do what you desire and not what we desire. In your son's name, amen.